0: Thanks so much for listening.
1: People aren't asking for this yet, Into to which we would say, well, you know that old Henry Ford quote, if he asked people what they wanted, they'd say a faster horse. Sometimes you got to lead. You got to explain the art of the possible and open people's eyes.
0: That was Gordon Stannis. Like last week's guest, Colin, Gordon helped create a smart lighting system. But where Colin wanted to improve our homes... Gordon wanted to improve our experience in parking garages. This is a super interesting conversation where we cover both hardware and software, mesh networks, and much more. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about a new resource I have for podcasters called Podcast Liftoff. Now, I'm coming fresh off of Podcast Movement 2019, and lots of folks were interested in how I started my show, and particularly my website. And I know many of you are, too. So I wanted to tell you about a free workbook I created that will help you take those first steps into launching your show. You'll answer questions about your topic and format. You'll get show scripts and notes templates. You'll get checklists and a whole lot more. If you want to get this free download, head over to howibuilt.it slash liftoff. That's howibuilt.it slash liftoff and get your free podcast liftoff workbook download today. Now, let's get on with the show, after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Ahoy, the easiest way to increase customer engagement on your WordPress site. Install Ahoy, create a message box, configure where to display it, and start seeing conversions come in. You can create messages for card abandonment, upsells and cross-sells, custom support, and so much more. Ahoy's flexible conditions let you choose exactly where and when you want your message to be displayed. I've recently installed it on my own WooCommerce site, and I've already seen increased engagement. And I know this because of Ahoy's powerful analytics and reporting. You will see ROI within days of installing Ahoy, if not sooner. And that's even more true for listeners of how I built it. You can get an exclusive 20% discount on any plan. Visit useahoy.com slash howibuiltit and use the code howibuiltit at checkout. That's useahoy.com, U-S-E-A-H-O-Y, useahoy.com slash howibuiltit and the discount code howibuiltit. Use those today. Increase your engagement and sales on your WordPress site. Thanks to Ahoy for their support of this show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Gordon Stannis, the Director of Design and Strategy at Twistthink. Gordon, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I am doing uh, really well. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for uh, working through some of the pre-recording technical difficulties and uh, at-home difficulties, some of the hazards of working from home. Uh, I appreciate you joining uh, us today. And I was wondering if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. Um, I'm a a degree-trained industrial designer that has worked in the automotive industry, contract furniture industry, consumer electronics industry, and uh, for the past two decades, I've been leading the design and strategy teams at a firm called Twistthink in Western Michigan, and we work for uh, Fortune 500, Fortune 100s, in just about every market imaginable, designing uh, great user experiences and products for them that typically involve uh, heavy technology uh, components.
0: That's great. And uh, so that's, that sounds incredibly interesting. I'm sure working for uh, companies of such a big size uh, have a bunch of complexities um, that a lot of the listeners who are uh, freelancers or smaller agencies may not be too familiar with. What What is it like working for a Fortune 100 company?
1: Uh, It's actually great. One of the reasons that we rarely work for individual inventors and smaller companies is they they really don't uh, have the slightest idea what it takes, how hard it is to take an idea uh, and develop it appropriately and tune it towards your stakeholders and then get it into the marketplace so that it stands a chance of winning. Uh, It's a time-intensive, capital-intensive endeavor, and really only the fortune... 500s and 100s. And occasionally, uh, we, we try to, uh, connect with a VC funded organization or a university, uh, tech outpost, uh, once per year. Just, uh, it's, it's not necessarily a money making venture as much as it is. It stretches us. It helps us grow, keeps us connected with a different audience, but, uh, larger organizations have done this before and they're, they have systems and teams and, and, uh, uh, expense accounts that can bear the burden,
0: gotcha so so you work with um, individual inventors, you said uh, to uh, kind of help bring their stuff to market. I think that's really interesting, right because um I'm in the software field, uh, and it's easy for me to say like on a Friday, like, oh, I have this idea for some piece of software, and if I decide I'm going to work through the weekend. I could have a working copy of my idea by Monday. Right. Uh, not really the case in in, in in the work that you do, right?
1: No, no. It's uh, A lot of our work is hardware-intensive and software-intensive and really deep UIs, really complex user experiences. In fact, there was a project that we did uh, a couple of years ago where we had one guy full-time with the support of our team cracking the code for an algorithm that would discern between the four different strokes that a competitive swimmer would do in a pool. So the goal was to have these wrist-worn sensors determine, without pressing any buttons whether they're doing one of the four different strokes that swimmers do. That took, and so you think about that, and it's uh, 95th percentile male, 5th percentile female, um, and everything in between and that data set was so vast it took a year to figure out reliably uh, who was doing what
0: wow that's yeah that's incredible you know i think about that stuff with uh things like the apple watch for example and like you know detecting falls and how much testing and how much data gathering needs to go into that
1: uh huh um, i think i think about the apple watch all the time when i brush my teeth i'm very aware of the fact that someone has access to how many minutes I brush my teeth every day and how many (laughs) strokes in which direction I do, I don't know that that data has any value. But mm-hmm. Apple has access to that information. They know that, hey, it's about 7 o'clock in the morning. This are, and He's a left-handed person. There's a pretty good chance he's brushing his teeth right now. I wonder if any dental companies would like to have information like this from millions of people.
0: Wow. <laughs> wow, that is super interesting. It's something I hadn't thought of because my watch doesn't go on until after huh? I brush my teeth. But that is very, very interesting. Um, so... But today we're going to talk about a specific product, right? We're going to talk about the Limelight Lighting Control System.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh,
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is?
1: yeah, so Limelight is a very unique project it 's a once a decade kind of a project for us, as I mentioned already. we do our day job is working for large organizations that uh, need innovation, and uh, they either forgot how to do it themselves, so they call us up to help uh, remind them of uh, how the, how the innovation process works, or we have some uh, design or technical skills that they lack. Or that they just need new bandwidth. They need more bandwidth. They're extremely busy and they can't get all their work done, so they would call us. Limelight's different in that um, we intentionally decided to uh, step into the shoes of our customers who were always saying that, hey, it's very important that you constantly invest in innovation so that your business is sustainable. Uh, We personally invested ourselves. So we made an observation. Well we generated an insight based on our uh, oftentimes insatiable curiosity and, mm-hmm. and we said there's there 's something broken there 's something wrong. I wonder if that could be fixed and that gave birth to the idea that is limelight
0: wow that's that 's incredible so um, so you generally do work with other companies, but in this case, uh, you decided that you ha- your, you guys had an idea and you 've decided to kind of um, uh, put it, bring it to market
1: yeah yeah in fact we 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 had a, a very simple insight, and we we uh began the process of uh, understanding the problem i mean before you can solve a problem, you have to deeply understand it, so we spent uh, weeks and months studying this problem and verifying that nobody else had solved it, and uh, as as well as we could verify that no one else was actually trying to solve it um uh, we did some uh, brief, um, low-cost experiments to verify that it was technically feasible, and then we wrote ourselves a business plan, um, and we hired some, uh, I was, I was going to use the word consultant, but this gentleman actually refers to himself as an insultant because he's <laughs> not paid to be kind, he's paid to be blunt and helpful. And uh, this gentleman was uh, instrumental in, in helping us sober-mindedly uh, scope out what it would take to bring something like this to life. And, of course, along the way, we learned about all sorts of technical challenges that were so deep into the crystal ball that we couldn't possibly see them uh, in the first few months. But that's what that's what gave way to uh, limelight uh, parking structure uh, flat lot lighting control system.
0: Gotcha. So, okay. So uh, there's a lot of stuff you just said there that I'd love to unpack. But um, first is, Limelight is a wireless outdoor lighting control system, right? You specifically mentioned um, parking lots and garages. And there is, um, uh, is it that they're like smart lights or they're, they, okay, cool. So what's, what's the main, if you don't mind sharing, what's the main observation uh, that you made
1: so, so, here it is one of our we, we go to a lot of trade shows because uh, we work in virtually every industry, and uh, someone from our staff uh, we had just finished up a project for a client and um, and it was focused on one space, so so they wanted to bring lighting control into the manufacturing space in a unique way that allowed you to individually address individual light fixtures in a million square foot uh, warehouse environment or manufacturing environment so that when manufacturing cells shift and change, you can actually turn on lights only where you want them. And you're not okay. forced to turn on breakers and big random blocks of 50 lights. That was the big idea. So we had just finished that project for a client. And uh, one of our employees was uh, flying back from Vegas at O Dark 100 and mm-hmm. they saw one of the Uh, 40,000 parking structures in North America that was lit up like a Christmas tree at three in the morning. And he scratched his head and he said, that seems kind of stupid. Why do we do stuff like that? You know, and of course we we light them up because they they instill safety and confidence. You don't, no one wants to walk into a dim or dark uh, parking structure ever. So they waste all sorts of energy keeping these things lit when there's nobody inside. So the thought was, is there a better way? What if we could individually address all of the lights in a space? What if we could put an eyeball on every single light? What if we could put a brain and a mouth on every single light? And what if we could make them behave intelligently so that when nobody's around, they're behaving appropriately. And then when somebody shows up, they're incredibly brilliant and smart and add new value. Uh, so that was the genesis of the limelight idea.
0: Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And, uh, uh certainly, I'm sure will save money for the people who own the parking structure uh, and make uh patrons feel safe so uh you you mentioned that you did uh a lot of research to see if it was feasible to make sure that no one was doing it. What was that process like?
1: um I would call that ad hoc. Okay. Um, we were doing it between projects uh, when we had time, but one of the biggest challenges was imagine parking structures, if we want to communicate, if we want light fixtures to communicate with each other and the entire parking structure itself, um, we're, we're having to punch through a lot of concrete and a lot of uh, steel uh, rebar. That's a hostile environment for uh, radio signal propagation. Uh, and then you throw in a bunch of sheet metal that's there sometimes and not there at other times, and it creates for an unforgiving environment for uh, uh, radio frequency communication. So we had to make sure that it was feasible and it was possible. That was the big technical hurdle, and frankly, that's the reason no one had done it before. Uh, we, for For two decades, our team has been working with every single radio protocol under the sun, and in fact, I don't know if it's true anymore, but five years ago, we were running and managing the largest Zigbee radio mesh networks in North America as a result of the Limelight project. So wow. uh, once we determined that it was feasible, um, we 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 basically just started building the system.
0: Gotcha. So so that makes sense, right? I mean, everybody has Wi-Fi now, and um, if you have, let's say, uh, a concrete basement or something, you're going to need to add. Uh, like another access point in order to get internet in that basement, or uh, exactly. you know, signals can only travel so far through certain materials. Uh, so that's incredibly interesting. You want the main research was to try to figure out, hey, can we put smart lights in a mostly concrete structure, right? Yeah, and then and then if we could. Um, how much energy
1: could we save,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and what other things we could we do? What other user experiences could we bring to life that people would value? So we knew that the the one of the largest costs for a parking structure was uh, variable energy usage they really can uh, 't the, the The real estate cost isn 't variable. Uh, the maintenance costs in general are pretty consistent, but the energy use is a dial that they can turn. So we started to calculate how far we could turn that down while still being perceived as as bright or brighter than any garage ever at any time. And the, and the beauty is uh, what we learned through this process is um, the, out, the perimeter of a parking structure at night must be well lit, The outside spaces need to be well lit. The core of a parking structure doesn't need to be well lit. That could be step dim, that could be at half brightness because there's no one there. But as soon as someone goes in, then it has to be brought up to full brightness. And then as soon as those people leave, you can bring it back down to a dim state. Doing that uh, provides the opportunity to save a lot of money. And then you uh, layer on things like daylight harvesting. So we're not gonna Mm. overdrive these lights in the morning on the east side of the building, that would be foolish. There's plenty of light there at that time of day. And you can see how adding a brain, adding sensors and algorithms and intelligence into each individual light fixture allows every single one to be more efficient and they can also communicate with each other.
0: Wow. So uh, let's briefly talk about that before we get to the title question. They can. Uh, they can all talk to each other, right? So is this like uh, there is somebody walking near light fixture A, they are walking at a um, some sort of speed towards B, uh, they're talking to each other saying like, hey, B, bring up the lights a little bit more now because somebody's about to enter your zone. Is it something like that or is it something different?
1: You nailed it. That's exactly it. It's predictive analysis of where people are going. So there's always light ahead of you. If you're heading in a direction, we can predict where you're going and we're going to light your path. And then it gets really interesting. If say, and this does unfortunately happen in some garages, uh, let's say somebody wants to uh, uh, has a nefarious intent and they want mm-hmm. to commit a crime, they want to mug someone, and they typically they would knock out a light fixture outside an elevator or a staircase. If somebody does that with a limelight product, that fixture is gonna it's gonna know what happened. It's gonna send a signal to the neighboring lights and the building administrator to make people aware that that just happened. And we can uh, have a variety of different behaviors that automatically take place. A distress call could be automatically made, and the surrounding lights that form a circle around that light that was just taken out, they can pulse. And that pulse uh. is sort of a universal language to average human beings, pedestrians walking around that something's wrong.
0: Yeah, And it'll wow. put
1: people on alert. <clears throat>
0: Wow, that's that's incredible, right? Because now you're you're not only uh, saving, uh, you know, the owners of this structure money, presumably, but uh, you're making it safer for them. You're alerting the authorities faster, so you're making it safer for the people there. Yeah. Um, there so there's a, I mean, it sounds like you're solving a multitude of, of problems by making this one simple observation, which I think is really cool.
1: And and this is an IoT Internet of Things uh, product. And what we've learned uh, over 13 years of designing such products and systems, because there, it's really you're bringing an entire system, an ecosystem to life, is that when we help a client solve a specific problem by bringing to life an IoT infrastructure, um, we actually uncover multitudes of opportunities that maybe they hadn't even thought of before. Mm-hmm. Because, again, when you put... When you put eyes and a brain and a mouth on a product, it can do so many more things for you. It opens up your imagination. In fact, sometimes we jokingly refer to this as fracking, like we 're yeah. fracking people 's imaginations. The stuff was already there we 're just loosening it up and freeing it up so that it can be harvested and you know the the people talk about innovation a lot. You read about it a lot, but at the core of innovation is curiosity, imagination, creativity. Equals innovation. So yeah. IoT has this really amazing ability to uh, allow people to imagine futures they hadn't imagined yesterday.
0: This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. Starting a new project, looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high performance hosting for your WordPress sites plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account you only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to Pantheon.io today again to set up a free account. Pay only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. Let's get to the title question here, um, because you know you, you say you're giving this these lights uh, a brain and an eye, and um, how, how did you build it? Let's talk a little bit about the hardware side of it, um, and and what kind of sensors you put in it, and then the software like neural network like side, right? Because they're all talking to each other.
1: Yep, yeah, we call that a mesh network. So there, okay. it's a daisy chain communication pattern, and um, and it and it doesn't have to connect to anyone's IT. What we've also learned in creating these uh, innovative IoT infrastructure uh, for a wide range of, of clients is that nobody wants, no IT organization wants any of our products to connect to their IT. They want this Battlestar Galactica firewall, if you will, between. Uh, I know. I know that you're a Trekkie and you like NASA and stuff, so you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, so we create these environments, and they communicate with the outside world cellularly. So there's a cellular gateway. So whether it's five thousand or sorry, two hundred desks per floor in. Um, a campus building for uh, a, a large organization that is serviced by Herman Miller, um, you know, those desks will all talk to each other, and then they will talk to the outside world via a cellular network. And mm. each level of that building has its 200 desks, and they're all talking outside that way. So I ref- we refer to that as a, as a mesh network communicating with the outside world via gateway. <clears throat> so in this case, the way we started and, and the way we you know after after working on this system for over eight years, very different business models we started selling light fixtures with embedded radios
0: wow wow
1: and we and we and this was at a time when LEDs were becoming more popular, but they were still very costly they were still somewhat unreliable but it was it was obvious and inevitable that the led um, tsunami was approaching us was was going to land it was going to hit the beach, but it wasn't there yet it wasn't ready yet, so we launched with sealed fluorescent light fixtures with this brain and eyeball and everything embedded into them and in what seemed like the blink of an eye um, LEDs became reliable they became cost effective they uh they they they, they They just landed uh, a little faster than everybody thought they would. And so we shifted to only supporting uh, LED light fixtures, and we shifted from creating our own to allowing every manufacturer, all the large-scale manufacturers like Philips and uh, Hubble and others, Cree, to use our brain and our lighting control system and sort of uh, bolt it on or build it in to their sophisticated LED luminaires. That we're going into parking structures, so that our our business model completely shifted from being a fixture uh, and ecosystem provider to just being a, an ecosystem provider, and we sold the radio module to the fixture companies.
0: Wow, that so that sounds really interesting, I, and I feel like um, you know, there's there's some uh, some analogous things between. Uh, that shift that you made, and a similar shift that I made with selling my online courses, which was, I was really only going to focus on creating like these one-off course sales, and then I realized that um, most of most of what uh, can make me money is um, course licensing, right? So I generalize the course material, mm-hmm. I licensing, I license it to larger organizations who then provide it um, as a free service to their customers or their employees. So. Um, it's interesting to see kind of that shift based on where the market is going and how you can work with other strategic partners to to evolve your business model.
1: Bingo. We, we call it an, a networked sale. And, and we used to have to own it all, and we had all these big, large, heavy physical products that were shipping out the door, and we were arranging for their manufacturing shipping and shipping. And overnight, we were shipping really small modules two manufacturers and they would attach them themselves in their own factories. It completely shifted our business model. And instead of just having one light fixture, we had access to everybody's best, the best yeah. and brightest, pun intended.
0: <laughs> That's great. And then, and then you could focus on right what, what you uh, do best, right? which know. is work on this ecosystem. Yeah. And, and what
1: we learned through this whole process is that we were way ahead of our time. The people in the, the, you know, shocker, the parking structure industry is not the most uh, early adopter (laughs) technology-centric business model on the planet. These are big vending machines, and instead of bags of potato chips, you have SUVs and sedans Mm. and so (laughs) forth. and, And they really weren't thinking about how technologies, other than capturing your cash via your credit card at the front door, they weren't thinking about how technology could... Uh, revolutionize their business. So there was a lot of uh, education required. We, I say we, it wasn't me. It was uh, my business partner, Bob, has been to every trade show around parking uh, in North America and beyond many, many times, proselytizing the benefits before it actually caught traction.
0: Wow, that's, uh, so what What was it like then breaking into uh, this uh, you know, probably an industry that is very slow to move on things that don't exact, uh, that don't directly affect their bottom line, right is in, in a, a super obvious way, I mean, right? Like capturing credit cards, yes, we can collect money more easily. Um, yeah. so so because I mean, being ahead of your time uh, can almost be a death knell sometimes for technology companies, right? if you're yes. too far ahead. So what was it like, you know, getting traction and breaking into that industry?
1: It was really, really hard. Frankly, yeah. it was incredibly difficult. We'd we'd show up at these trade shows, and people would walk over. Uh, salespeople for parking structure equipment would walk over and say, "Boy, this looks really neat and everything." But you know, people aren't asking for this yet. And to which we would say, "Well, sometimes you can't. You know that old Henry Ford quote: mm. if, if he asked if he asked people what they wanted, they'd say a faster horse. Sometimes you got to lead. You got to explain the art of the possible and." open people's eyes. And one thing that was at the top of our list at the beginning of this process that we thought would resonate with people was energy savings. We proved that we could save an enormous amount of energy and that translates literally into dollars into the pockets of the people who own these structures. So we thought that was the number one compelling selling proposition for the system. And, and it's, it's very important. But what we learned over time was the maintenance story was equal, equally compelling and in some cases, more compelling. So imagine how maintenance used to work in, let's say you own 10 parking structures and every day you had to roll a truck and pay, pay human beings to drive mm-hmm. through your parking structures to look for lights that were out. That's yeah. how it used to work. Now, the way that works is someone gets a text message and it tells them exactly where in what building and yeah. what fixture it is. And they just put one in their truck and they go and swap it out. It's wow. it's a revolutionary idea. And, and then you translate that into one of our largest jobs, which was um, all of the parking structures that feed into the Washington, D.C. metro uh, train lines. So where mm-hmm. everybody parks their car and gets on a train and goes into D.C., there are uh, dozens of parking structures. There's 14,000 lighting uh, fixtures in those parking wow. structures. Every single one of them has our lighting control system in it. So there's 14,000 radios and they're always assessing the health of every light fixture and they're reporting out their status. That helped Phillips sell that or, or, or obtain that job.
0: Wow, yeah, right cuz that that makes a lot of sense, right? If you um with the cost savings aspect, right? I mean, I don't know what the scale is like, but um you know, if you say, you know, you could save 10% or 40% or whatever uh in your electric bill every month versus hey, uh we are going to make your employees more efficient. Yeah. Uh that, you know, I I feel like that is a really good story to tell and uh, clearly it is.
1: It, it is. And, and you were actually pretty accurate with the 40%. I mean, that is the, the type of savings that we're looking at. It's, it's sometimes larger, sometimes a little bit smaller, but it's in that zone. But then when you think of a human being and the cost of an employee, I mean, not to say like we, I'm not trying to like get rid of employees or anything, right, like that. Right. but there's, there's a lot of cost associated with gainfully employing a human being. Right. Um, there's, there's, you can just imagine all of them. So if, so if you were, traditionally hiring three people to do that job. And now you can get by with a half of a person who's being deployed in a more useful way for a human being, some, you know, engaging their minds and their right. hands and so right. forth and not just driving a car around looking at lighting fixtures. It gets, it gets really exciting.
0: There's Absolutely. a huge ROI. Absolutely. And then, I mean, yeah, right. Like you said, I mean, you know, it's, you don't want to make the argument that you could put people out of work, but, if you're making savings for employees or um the bottom line for like your employment budget, you can take that money and put it into um you know more education for your employees so that they can do like you said things that um you know better engage the mind, for example. Yes,
1: more value add work. The the, yeah. the last thing we want to do as a firm is reduce jobs. We want to improve jobs.
0: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, that's that's incredibly interesting. And so you were uh, you were ahead of your time, but now I mean places like DC Metro are using uh, your ecosystem. Um, what are your plans for the future? You know, what's kind of the next step in uh, this smart lighting um, ecosystem?
1: So, so I've got two answers to your question. What are our plans for the future as it relates to Limelight? We. Uh, We successfully uh, sold Limelight to the world's leader in lighting control, which is Lutron. Oh, wow. So now they currently own Limelight. And what's great about that is um, they have hundreds and hundreds of salespeople globally um, and thousands of employees. And they're all motivated and incented to incorporate Limelight uh, parking structure, lighting, and flat lot lighting, and uh, outdoor park and space lighting control into any job they bid. Yeah. So, wow. so imagine Twistthink having a side business with three or four employees uh, commissioning these systems in nearly every state in the country, including Hawaii. So, so we're doing that as a really small team over a period of seven or eight years. And now there's this uh, industry leader who owns it and has breadth and depth and reach that we could, uh, you know, we could never rival. And so you'll see more limelight capable garages and flat lots in the very near future because of that. So we don't, we personally don't have plans for limelight. Lutron has plans for limelight. And we're really mm-hmm. excited about um, about that process. But the, the real question for us is what's next? You know, what's... Uh, What's limelight two point and, yeah. and i don't mean literally a lighting control system I mean right. I mean how can we add value with IOt and innovation to an industry that uh, wasn't asking for it, may not think it's ready for it but could benefit dramatically from it
0: that's that's great um, and it's really cool to see that you you know you kind of successfully moved this business to someone who it sounds like will absolutely be able to take really good care of it. And now you are moving on to solve the next problem, which is um you know, more to your core business, right? Cuz you solve problems, you help your clients solve problems.
1: Yeah, yeah, our core business is uh our insatiable curiosity to find problems that deserve to be solved and then a systematic approach combined with uh you know, analytical rigor and imagination. Um, to To solve them in in unique ways, I mean we always say that there's no problem we can 't solve the The real question is which ones deserve to be solved
0: great that 's awesome um, so maybe maybe based on that last statement you just made um i I have to ask you my favorite question, which is do you have any trade secrets for us and uh, you know of course, not industry secrets, but uh, some good piece of advice maybe based on what you just said about figuring out what the, the good ideas are, the ones worth pursuing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sort of lessons learned. I can, I can share some, some lessons learned. Uh, first of all, uh, the power of a great team is, uh, is fundamental to solving any problem and building anything worthy of, uh, of notice. So, um, we have a, pretty unique team that we've very intentionally designed and nurtured over time and two-thirds of our staff are deep technologists and one-third are uh, skilled industrial designers. So you take that unique skill set and that was strategic two decades ago. We we merged what was typically thought of as two separate companies and we put them together, co-located in one space, not by department, uh, we sort of seat people, every other person. So the tech people are mixed in with the designers and the mechanical engineers and the electronic engineers. And yeah. and we actually shift that space um, every six months. Everybody moves wow. every six months. And again, it's not by department. It's just we're just moving people all the time because we want them to pick up this adjacent knowledge that happens in a highly collaborative space. We have no walls in our space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other lesson learned that I'd, I'd share with you, and I, I think it's un- incredibly difficult to put a price tag on it, but we know it adds value, and that is um, nurturing collaboration in any conceivable way. So in our spaces, yeah, we have every every wall is a whiteboard, uh, whether it's wow. a brick wall with a giant uh, 15-foot-long personalized white board attached to it or if it's drywall it gets marker board paint on it so every square inch of our space is a place where you and i or a client and i or whoever we can just stop and uh, instead of waving our hands and using words we just we just hit it and we start building these low resolution prototypes on the wall and you know this was done in Lascaux cave paintings thousands of years ago, and it and it 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 continues now. The faster you can get to an illustration and get away from people sitting in chairs and stuffy rooms and using only words and a little bit of body language to communicate complicated ideas, uh, we have no tolerance culturally, no patience or tolerance for that at all. Uh, everything is dynamic, and it's we're standing, we're not sitting. All of our conference rooms are stand-up conference rooms. We got rid of sit-down conference rooms half a decade wow. ago. And and we're just, as a firm, whatever we can do to foster, to take down walls and to foster collaboration, to accelerate innovation, we'll do it. We're shameless about it.
0: Wow, that's that's incredible. I mean, I, I love the, um, you know, not breaking up your employees by department because you're right, people... Uh, people can learn a lot from each other, from other industries. That's the big value of a co-working space. And as you were describing what you what you have, it made me think a lot about co-working spaces in general.
1: Yes. So, yeah. There's there's tremendous opportunity in in uh, co-working spaces. No walls. 15 foot live plants. Lots of sun coming in through skylights. Ceiling fans everywhere, ubiquitous music playing throughout the space, which acts as a more sophisticated version of noise cancellation than any kind of a waterfall hissing snake yeah. backdrop. And yeah. uh, all those things add up. They, they make it a pleasant space to work in, and, and they just are naturally conducive to people's imaginations and uh, creativity.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, well, Gordon, I want to I thank you for your time today. Uh, where can people find you?
1: Uh, twistlink.com. And uh, Twistthink is two words with, uh, there's only one middle T between the two words. That's the, the common mistake. <laughs> awesome. So uh, yeah, go to our website, check us out. Um, there's a wide range of uh, case studies that you can look at, projects that we worked on in the past. You can see the kind of customers that we serve. Uh, and even some explanation of the processes that we use as well.
0: Awesome. Well, I will be sure to link that and several things that we talked about in the show notes today. Gordon, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thank you very much. This was my pleasure. I appreciate it too.
0: Thanks so much to Gordon for joining us today. Uh, Talking about this sort of stuff, stuff I don't usually talk about on the show, uh, was incredibly interesting. And um, I liked what he said about... um, you know, kind of explaining the art of the possible. I think that was a really good quote. That's why I decided to open up the show with it. Uh, so, um, uh, thanks again to him. You can find him over at twistthink.com. Uh Thanks so much to our sponsors, Ahoy and Pantheon. Uh, if you want to learn more about them, head over to the show notes. You can find everything we talked about over at howibuilt.it slash uh, 134. And if you want to download that free podcast workbook and launch your own podcast, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash liftoff. Now, my question of the week for you is, what did you think was the most interesting part of Gordon's story? You know, again, we don't usually talk about um, this kind of stuff on how I built it, but I thought it was a very interesting story. I like the smart lighting. I like Uh, building the physical product and things like that. So let me know by emailing me, joe at howibuilt.it or on Twitter at jcasabona. And again, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, get out there and build something.